So the way I see it is what I believe to be two disputed territories. One's called Gaza and one's called West Bank. And the funny thing is that these two governments historically haven't gotten along either. And it goes back to what we've hinted or talked about is that, you know, what Golda said about, you know, the Arabs are not at all friendly with each other. Constant, stubborn tribalism between what was originally tribes, now are kingdoms and, and nation-states, and, and in this case, disputed territories. They cannot get along with each other. And I remember watching Gaddafi in the Arab League, and he was very fired up. I thought he was a character, obviously. Gaddafi? Yeah, he, he was, was a, a superstar, man. He was very camp, yeah. you know, and very over the top, and I always liked his Tarantino-like female bodyguards with the stilettos, <laughs> and he was a showman, completely deranged at the end of the day. Yeah. Again, he had his... You know, he, I don't think he was completely stupid, but I, he became more loony as time went on. But he was absolutely enraged as to why <clears throat> Syria has better relations with Iran and um, China than it does with Saudi, than with UAE, than with Qatar. Yeah. You know, and again, I think this this Arabic world, this Arab league, is, is so fragmented. There's such mistrust, there's such dislike amongst what were once tribes um, that I think this is why they haven't been able to organize a successful military operation against Israel, be it the war in 48, be it uh, the Six-Day War, except the, the, even the Yom Kippur War, although that really did mess with Israel. They really weren't expecting that attack. And that Golda Meir was... Um, Forgive my ignorance. At the time. Who was it that was going to create the Pan-Arab um, uh, Pan League with... Uh a universal currency in order to... Who was it that... Gaddafi was... was Gaddafi, working, wasn't it? And, and Clinton and Obama sort of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that was one key reason why... One of many key reasons why Clinton wanted him gone and wanted that region... Um, well, they destabilized the region, obviously. If there's so much anti-Western sentiment, mm. right, amongst the, the Arabic leagues, the Arab leagues, mm. they would have... Like, with all the resources, all the power, all the money, all the weapons... Yeah. They would have grouped by now and done something significant to make a dent and establish something that was stable as a unified... Yeah. You know what I mean? They haven't. They, they never haven't have. No. But, I mean, there is no unity. There is no... There, there's, there's very little unity. And I mean... And then, then you know that there's the Sunni-Shia rivalry That's as well. That's what my next thing was going to be. They're so yeah. splintered religiously, even though they, they yeah. still fall under the same umbrella. And it's a good thing, that I think, that should keep going, that rivalry, because if Saudi and Iran ever become friends, I think we're screwed. Oh, 100%. But, you know, Saudi is a, is a US ally, and I think despite whatever Wahhabism they import, and, you know, it's still, you know, all they do have had their hand in a lot of extremism, obviously, and they have supported... A lot of organizations, you know, probably, you know, underhandedly under the table, so to speak. They've never been outward about it. But, you know, obviously, it, you're not going to see Saudi do anything in this current situation. You know, I don't think, I think the, 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 the groups you have to keep your eye on here is Iran, number one, because I think all roads lead back to Iran with all these groups that have, as we said, Hamas, Hezbollah, and Houthis, the Houthis, Hezbollah, and Houthis, you know, that minor, minor attacks, but, still heavily funded by Iran. I think you should keep your eye on Syria as well. I'd keep an eye on Syria in regards to this matter. Um, any Arab League state that hasn't signed a peace deal with Israel or isn't a, a big US ally, let's say, I think they're the ones we've got to uh, keep, our, keep our eye on. What solution do you reckon, ultimately? With, well, this is, this is the thing. I don't really have one. 
right now. And it's okay not to have one. Well, exactly. I'm not going to pretend that I've got one. Um, I mean, I have heard, you know, well, there was one idea that was put on the table that, you know, Egypt should maybe, you know, cut off a portion of the Sinai or, you know, and, and take in the Arabs there and then house them there temporarily until Gaza can be rebuilt. They had 20 years to rebuild Gaza well, again, and they did nothing with it. Well, then we have the issue of Hamas. I mean, Hamas have got to go. You know, so it would be a, a new government, so to speak, that would come in that was really there for their people to build a workable, livable society. Th- th- that's one suggestion I've heard. Um, easier said than done, obviously. But what are we going to do with all these people in this tiny, you know, tiny territory? I mean, they, they have to go somewhere. Even if it is temporary, while you know Gaza gets rebuilt, but where are we, where are they going to go? Where are we going to put them? How, why is it that people can just overlook the fact that Hamas has got hostages, and they they yeah. they create they they literally launched a terrorist attack on innocent well, civilians? If this didn't happen, if they didn't they didn't launch that attack, we, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. Yeah. We wouldn't be sitting here talking about this issue right Does now. Does it come back to just Israelis fitting that archetype of white villainous uh, Westerners? Yeah, well, they're, they're seeing... Do you reckon that's why it's just so easy to perpetuate this? It's easy to perpetuate this propaganda and this mythology because of those identities, uh, white skin, uh, Judaism, Jewish, and we said it equals the dollar signs, it equals this idea of a white-skinned colonial collective. That's why it's so easy to frame it this way. And that's why I believe we have a free free Palestine movement. And again, you look at the rainbowists that have joined this. I thought it was very amusing. I was reading a, a case of a, a free Palestine march in, in London. And what was wonderful was you had all these, you know, queers come down with their rainbow flags and it was wonderful because there was a group of uh, Arab Muslims that chased them, abused them, and chased them off. <laughs> I just thought that was wonderful because they don't like them. I no. mean, and again, it's in the you know homosexuality, uh, queerness, whatever. It's and I got into a debate with a person this lot, not not that long ago, who, um, a Muslim that was quite devout, that said to me, "Well, there's nothing in um, Islam." that talks about the persecution of, of gays. I go, yes, there is. He goes, no, no, there's nothing in the Quran. And isn't that interesting? They'll tell you there's nothing in the Quran, but they will ignore the Hadith. Yeah. The Hadith is a very important document. So it's the, the words and commands of, of Muhammad. In, in, in Christianity, in the New Testament, it's two in one. You know, the word of God and the word of Jesus in the one book. But in Islam, you've got these two separate books but as 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 any good muslim knows if it's not in the quran you must check the hadith because it could be in the hadith and we know that the hadith is very important in particular to the sunni world there's uh, two hadiths that are particularly reliable and it does talk about not only persecuting them but uh, not only sorry condemning them but violently persecuting them killing them so you bring that up and they're like oh but that Muhammad didn't really say that, or he didn't. No, that's not. That's not. It's always not reliable, or it's always Muhammad didn't say it. According to you know Islamic clerics, these two hadiths are the, are the two most reliable, and it's in there. 
You can argue with me that Muhammad may or may not have said that. I'm not going to argue with you, but that's not important. The important fact is, these are the doctrines that we have to go on. So you could all say to me, well, maybe Jesus didn't say this. I don't know, but all I do know is that we have the New Testament with his words and commands, and if we are going to analyze the religion, that's all we have to go on. So it's the same thing with the, the doctrines of Islam. It's the same thing with the Torah. We must go with what's written. And that's another thing that annoys me is when people say, we talk about, we've talked about Islamic ideology in regards to Jews, in regards to acquiring land for the, for the, with the aim of the caliphate state. And you talk about this, you talk about the motivation of all these things that are found in the religion, and you often get, just get that lame brain, you know, sidestepping response, well, what you're talking about isn't represented in most Muslims. Well, what does that have to do with anything? We're talking about what is in the religion, the peaceful majority are irrelevant. And in many ways, even the, the extremist collective are also irrelevant in this particular argument because we're looking at what's written. We're analyzing the doctrinal ideology of this religion or these religions. Don't start talking to me about all the innocent, peace-loving people because it's, it's an attempt to deviate from the analysis of the religious ideology. And it doesn't matter if the majority of Muslims, and they are, the majority of Muslims are peaceful people. But that has nothing to do with what is in this dogmatic, ideological material that's written. And the same thing in Christianity, the same thing in Judaism. Any religion, if we're going to analyze the religion, we have to analyze its doctrines. We can't just pull people in and say, well, the majority of people don't support what's, so this is the what thing. you're talking about. I, I love finding religious hypocrisy. Yeah, It's my favorite thing to do, right? Arguing with the fashionably devout about their own dogmas and their own beliefs and then literally just sidestepping the cherry picking, right? My favorite thing. You all right? Yeah, butter. Cool. It's honestly one of my favorite pastimes. Bring it yeah. up. Because the casually religious aren't even aware of their own dogma, right? Mm. And they just And they go by whatever they have in front of them and whatever fits their model of, you know, yeah. at, the, at the current time. This is the problem with, like, the Hamas situation, right? Rooted, like, Hamas is a terrorist organization steeped in Islam, is, Islam and fundamentalist Islam, right? In every sense of the word, it's, yeah. not, it's not moderate, it's not casual, it's not... Well, like I always say, there's no such thing as uh, um, moderate or extreme Islam. Yeah. There's moderate and extreme Muslims, but there's just Islam. There's Islam. And the majority of it happens to be extremist. Exactly. In, in, in the first part of it, in, in Muhammad's early days in Medina, it was a, it was a peaceful spiritual movement till he, uh, in Mecca, sorry, till he ended up in Medina. So you, with Islam, it's very chronological. You have to read the Quran and the Hadith and from start to finish and look at it from Muhammad's journey from Mecca, his, his hijrah, immigration to Medina onwards. So, yes, there's a portion of the beginning that is peaceful, and then the larger majority of it is not. And this is where I come in, right? Yeah. As as a gnostic atheist, leading atheist, yeah. right? For me, your religion doesn't mean shit to me. Mm-hmm. It can be what it is to you. You can yeah. be devout. You can be whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want to believe, right? Yeah. Ultimately, if I throw it all out the window, and I don't make my critical thinking or my secular decisions based on your fucking religious yeah. movement, right? 
So then all I've got is the intent behind the move, like behind your actions. If you took, like you said, you could have moderate Muslims or, you know, um, very easy, like, you know, whatever it is, right? Peaceful Muslims. Peaceful versus, Muslims yeah. versus... Extremist the, Muslims. Versus the actual religion itself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Not every Muslim you know is going to be hell-bent on building a caliphate. They don't care. No. And they'll drink at Christmas time. Sure. Because they don't care. They'll celebrate Christmas even though it's haram. And I could yeah. care less, right? Yeah. You yeah. do what you want. I will Agreed. be with you at... Like, you know, when I was in Malaysia, I was there during Ramadan. Yeah. And I didn't drink on the streets. No. You know, there were American tourists drinking on of the course. streets like idiots. Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? You're in one of the biggest Muslim countries in the world yeah. and you're... That's, that's so you show your respect yeah. for the predominant right. culture, which is exactly what I would do so if Remove I was there. Remove yeah. all that yeah. and just look at the situation with Hamas right now. Hell-bent Islamic yeah. militants that are a terrorist organization. How can you possibly support that ideology? But when you know well, full well what, the, like, what they're doing. But then again, people don't know full well what they're doing. They don't understand the Hamas mindset. Okay. They see them as mere freedom fighters fighting a white-skinned, colonialist, That's oppressive right. uh, collective. The reason why is because they don't understand the whole mindset behind Hamas. They don't understand the Charter. They don't understand their philosophy. They don't understand Islam. And if you don't understand Islam, or at least a good portion of it, if you don't understand jihadi principle, then you'd have no understanding of the entire situation, of this current situation in particular. Because if you don't understand that, then you cannot understand the mindset of Hamas. Therefore, there is no understanding of the situation. Therefore, you have no idea about context and motivation. I think it's important to point out this, at this point that I have no dog in this fight regarding the religious well, elements. I think they're both ridiculous, either side. As in, as in Judaism versus Islam. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't... I'm but not comparing it, yeah. the religions. No. As in, this is something that we've done, in, like when we've talked about past. studying the religion in itself yeah, and the doctrine yeah, yeah. and the extremism and the fundamental principles. Yeah. Like I said, I love finding religious hypocrisy. I yeah. love it, right? Yeah. yeah you tell, you tell a, anyone that follows an Abrahamic um, religion, it's like you can't eat shellfish. What are you talking about? You shouldn't be wearing mixed fabrics. Like there's a hundred different laws that no one follows. Yeah. From either side of the fence, yeah. right? Either they're archaic, have no relevance, yeah. people feel they're not important. Well, yeah. you're either following the fucking religion to the letter or you're not, right? That's why I don't... I'm not making this conversation... Yeah. I'm not making this conversation about comparing judo-Christian religions to Islam. I'm not doing that at all. No. Being a secularist, put them all out the window, I could care less. We're just talking about understanding Islam and, in context, the way Hamas yeah. is actually orchestrated. So, therefore, it's you, use. you have to understand... Islam, and I think it, it, you need to understand uh, Muhammad, yeah. his journey, because it's relevant to the, the journeys and the mindset of these uh, Islamic organiza extremist organizations. Like I said, it doesn't matter whether it's ISIS or Hamas or Al-Shabaab or Boko Haram or Al-Qaeda. They all pretty much follow the same standard. They might have slight cultural differences between the two of them, but they're following Muhammad in his, well, we'll say, in his Medina narrative, not his Mecca narrative, because without following him in his Mecca narrative, at that time, Mo was talking, you know, a lot of peaceful things, and he was you know, trying to get the Christians, the Judaics, and the atheists to join his newfound religion, but he was saying a lot of things to, to be palatable, you know, towards them. But we must understand it, the religion itself, as much as we can, because then we're going to understand the motivation of Hamas and all these organizations. I think Westerners in general, are pretty bad at this. 
They don't, they don't understand. And they, I think they've been sold a lie as part of this activist movement that these guys are just freedom fighters that are battling oppression. So you have heard people say, well, in regards to this attack, well, I've heard people say, well, what do you expect? They've been oppressed. So what do you expect? There's a lot more going on than that. And I agree these people have, that's another thing, free Palestine. It's, the, it's a slogan. It's a strategic slogan. Because the slogan doesn't tell you from what or from whom. So I'm constantly asking people, okay, who, who do they need freedom from? Because in my mind, okay, uh, we look at you know West Bank and Gaza. Uh, they need freedom from Hamas. I mean, Ga- Arabs in Gaza need freedom from Hamas. Yeah. Um, Arabs in West Bank could do with freedom from the PA. And as I said, we could... I definitely agree with the idea of Israel pu- pu- pulling back those settlements. I'm not saying Israel is a is a completely innocent government. I'm not saying they're an innocent country. I'm saying that they're not. I don't think they're the bad guy, or the, the big bad guy in this situation, as, as they as they're made out to be. What would you do to increase awareness in regards to like everything we've said? Right? <clears throat> yeah. I can't wait to actually put this up and just have it. Again, like a page in history well, as a reference I, I'm point. I'm curious to hear what your listeners yeah. have to say about it. Yeah, like, I've had people that have listened, have specifically commented on the first one that we did about it. Touched on some of the history. Yeah, yeah, and they said you couldn't have worded it any more concisely and more clear, right? Well, I've tried my best. And you can see I've got no notes. No, no. I'm doing this from I know, off you're the top doing of my head. All, all off the top, which yeah. means you're clearly passionate about this. I'm pretty sure and, yeah, and I've got thing. no skin in the game either. Exactly. That's the I'm other not thing. Arabic. I'm not Jewish. I'm not Judaic. I'm not yeah. Muslim. I, we ju- live here. We enjoy the fruits I'm of Australia. I'm fascinated. It's a great, it's one of my favorite topics, but I don't carry skin in the game. And that's nothing maybe because I am into it and I do talk about it with such conviction and interest that... Some of your listeners might think that I do ha- that, that that I might be Jewish, no. or I might be Israeli, but I'm not. When that, and that's why I said I'm coming yeah. from the point of I'm not comparing just which religion's more depraved, you know, on on an ideological level. I've got no skin in the game that I don't care. No. Yeah, I mean, I think that we can, and again, I mean, that's a conversation we can have, and we have had that conversation we because we've compared the the major three. Yeah, and we've we've come up with a conclusion as to which which ideology is more problematic for humanity. Yeah, and, that's yeah. an entirely different conversation to have. Yeah, yeah. I'm just talking in the context of the current situation yeah. and understanding the motive and the intent. We must understand motive and intent of Hamas, just like we have to understand why, and I think it's very clear why Israel went in. They weren't going in there two months ago or three months ago or five months ago and targeting Hamas bases. But we need to get hostages and retaliate for the, the atrocity. Exactly. But as I say, without... Und- Without a, a, a pretty strong understanding of Islam and Islamic jihadi principles, um, there's no understanding of the situation. But I, I keep emphasizing this to Westerners because, like I said, it's so hard for them to get their heads around this whole de- idea of the investment in life after death. That is a key thing that you must understand because this world, this Islamic world, as I said, sees life on this earth as worthless. Yeah. That is key to understanding why they set up their bases next to all these different segments of infrastructure. I did hear, I think there was a cop church, maybe it was the last one in Gaza, because there's barely nothing, there's barely any Christians. They've either been forced into conversion or slaughtered over time. There's a tiny minority left. And the cop church got blown up. And Egypt went nuts. 
well, why did the cop church get blown up? Hamas had its bases next to it. You know, they don't care about their own people. They don't care about their own mosques even in this scenario. Do you think they're going to care about a Coptic? The a fact Coptic that you church. can use children as human shields, man. Oh, again, again, this is nothing with children. They keep saying, you know, X amount of thousands of children are dead. But they, and they, they these are figures that come from Hamas. Um, but, okay, I want a breakdown of these so-called children because we know they use child soldiers. We know they use teenagers in particular, from, you know, little kids, 10-year-olds, you know, even all the way up to 17-year-olds. Yeah. How many of these children dead are child soldiers? I mean, that's just one thing that it's not narrowed down. And I'd like to know how many of these, yeah, children are child soldiers that have been, that have, that have died as opposed to just, you know, babies, infants, little kids. It's amazing that now, now you can, we're talking about child, uh, child soldiers. I'm just thinking, of, mm. the second you say child soldiers, I think of Northern Africa and like, you know, all the, countries in dispute and, like, constant civil wars that use child Like Sudan and Somalia and Mauritania, yeah. And I think of Nazi Germany as the last line. And I thought of the psychological, like, um, just the the, the impact that it had, like, for soldiers from the West coming in and seeing Seeing. children with with military. Like, you can't shoot. But at the same time, they're there to kill you. And exactly. Now, we as Westerners see child soldiers. We don't get it. We, We don't understand how the adults could allow, you know, these children. But again, martyred. They're, they're going to be martyred for the cause. They're, they live to die. It's no issue for them. That's crazy saying so that. The, the, because of the way we're raised from a cultural perspective in the West, we just don't get it. And I, and I think that is also key. We have to understand these Islamic principles, which Hamas promotes, they're in, they indulge in, just like all those other organizations that we mentioned. So without understanding that, there's no understanding of the entire situation, as I say. It was interesting, Douglas Murray also made a point of, he said, you know, even the, the Nazi Germans who were executing and slaughtering Jews and others in the concentration camps had to go home or they went to bars and, and drank themselves into stupors because of their guilt, because yeah. they felt horrible of what, what they'd done. I don't think you're going to see Hamas soldiers or militants going into the bar after they've finished fighting for the day to drink um, their, suppress their, suppress yeah, their, 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 their PTSD, their, basically. Their, their, their acts of murder and terror, because you can see and hear it's celebrated. how elated they are. And this, this, this Islamic disdain of Jews is, you know, it's absolutely visceral. And again, a lot of wokists and Westerners will think, okay, well, they hate Jews because of the Israeli occupation of the, of the land of Palestine. Yeah. This that's, is, what this the, the, that's where Islam yeah. stems from, the, yeah. the, the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. hatred. This of, is the beginning of their hatred, really. Well, you, again, you don't understand the history because to understand the history, you've got to go all the way back. And another thing may I point out, I think there's a great deal of excessive envy in the Arab world because remember, this piece of land under Ottoman rule was um, desolate. A lot of it was you know, swamp and desert and it was just unworkable. And the Arabs really couldn't, they never were able to do much with it. But then as the Jews kept coming back, they were able to turn it into ecological, yeah, fertile, fertile land, yeah. wonders, which is why you had subsequent Arabic immigration, you know, from the Gulf and from other parts of the Middle East, people coming in to partake in that. I think there's also a great deal of envy there 
apart from the, the religious hatred and the rest of it, I think there's just seething hatred that this group was able to do something with this soil that another group that was living there for a long time couldn't couldn't manage to do. So I think that also comes into play as How well. How do we... Okay. Like I mentioned before, like yeah. I've been feeding off the socials and just seeing what people are resharing just to try and get a gauge on the climate, you know? Yeah. And it's it's so contrasted, man. Like the clear divide between left and right. And these are people that seemingly have been part of the same social groups forever. Yeah. Like, even, like friends of mine, you know, friends I've known for 30 years... And I'm watching these complete left and right. Yeah. I don't know how to broach the subject with anyone. How do you do it to people that... It's, I've never seen people so passionate about something. Well, a lot of them are passionate because they're writing on the slogans of the of the brand, Free Palestinism. Again, they're passionate because they've been presented with two sides. One side with that bears certain social identities, another side that bears another one. And they, they will align themselves with the the group that has these disadvantages, social identities. So they ban with that. I think there are some people that are just genuinely naive and ignorant. To they just go on a few headlines and slogans, but you will find people that are open, that are willing to perhaps listen. The, there are others that are completely closed. And, I mean, the minute you start challenging their ideas, they'll shut off, they'll block you, they'll they'll scream at you, whatever. You can't talk, have a conversation with these people. But... If you're to have a conversation, I think it needs to be, and again, look at, we've been talking for nearly two hours now, I think, and we've covered yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of ground. The way that I would tackle it is exactly the way we've tackled it tonight. You've got to give them historical context. We've got to talk about the land itself. We've got to talk about this Palestinian identity. We've got to talk about this so-called Arab land. We've got to go through a summary of history of the ancestral Jewish homeland, the former Judea, under Roman rule, um, all the way down, past the British mandate onwards, and then we've got to tackle the current situation, which without having the historical context doesn't make much sense. You need the historical context. And then when we're talking about this organization as Hamas, as I said, we've got to understand Islam, we've got to understand Islamic jihadi principle because it is the main component of their drive and it is it makes up a big part of their objective. So that's how I think people will get a better understanding. But it's, it's not easy. Yeah, I don't see it happening anytime soon. No, though. and I don't know how we can, we've been talking for two hours about this, I don't know how to summarize it in five minutes. In people, 10 minutes. People don't have the attention span, unless it's a 40-second TikTok reel. Yeah, yeah. It, Which we, we need the time to discuss it, you see. We need the time to discuss it. But I, I've spoken to countless people, as I said, who get a lot of their information from TikTok, who get their information from the headlines, the, the, slogan, the slogans, the buzzwords. But they really can't tell you anything about what's going on, apart from a few videos, strategic video, I believe, strategic videos that they've seen. Um, and I was just speaking to someone the other day who said, you know, well, you know, I just, they, they said, oh, I just believe the Palestinians want peace and they've never been given a chance. Interesting. She didn't say that the Israelis or the Jews want peace as well, just the Palestinians that want peace. And she said, they've never been given a chance, never been given a chance. Is that so? Well, we've discussed every single partition plan that's been put on the table They've been um, left alone for the last, since 2005. Yeah, they've been given billions of dollars in aid money over time to set up workable, livable societies that they've that their governments have never bothered to do. 
I don't believe you can say Palestinians, Arabs in Gaza or West Bank, have nothing to do with Hamas or nothing to do with the Palestinian Authority, the PA in West Bank. Don't believe that claim is possible. I believe there's significant support. You cannot completely separate them yeah. at all. You know, that, 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 makes, um, that makes no sense. And again, it's the only time we hear this. I think it's very rare that I hear people claiming that a government that is initially elected has nothing to do with the people that live in that country or live in that region or live in that territory. Just like saying, well, you know, the, the, the Labor government in power federally here in Australia has nothing to do with the Australian people. Well, yes, it does, because the majority... They were elected. Elected. And freely elected. Freely elected. And there is a, obviously, there is a majority of support for this government's um, policies. So, why is it any different in Gaza? Why? You will have people that don't support it. I'm not saying that every single Arab in Gaza, the over 2 million, every single 2.4 million or whatever it is, support Hamas. But I'm saying that they do... have to have been a majority... That to have been a majority, and they will still have a lot of a lot of support. And that's the other thing is, let's say if Egypt were to take, we'll use the example of the one suggestion that has been put on the table. It's not terrible, but let's say Egypt took in millions of Arabs from Gaza. There's no way they're going to absorb them into their country because it's just not practical. But the idea of maybe cutting off a portion of the Sinai or housing them somewhere temporarily until Gaza can be rebuilt, until we can introduce a uh, a government, and again, a, a, a democratic government that cares about its people. Okay, put them, put them there temporarily, fine. Um, but then the other idea is how do you, how can you tell the difference between, you know, your, your peaceful uh, Arab Gaza that Gaza that doesn't support Hamas versus the ones that do you know how, how do you separate that so even if you were to take this solution beyond this idea of having a temporary housing situation on the on in a border part of Egypt if you were to start dispersing them around the world as um, refugees if they're going to neighboring countries then they become economic migrants if they go beyond the the next door safe havens you have people that have been living in this dreadful territory since 48 that have been brainwashed into believing that the reason why they are in this state is Israel. Children have been brought up to hate Jews. I mean, we don't want these people in our societies. We don't want people that have these mentalities, this high-level high religious extremism, this, this hatred, this system of brainwashing i mean how can you how do you even begin to separate which ones have this issue and which ones i mean it's 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 a it's a very it's I a very an, daunting task i think another indicator of, of stuff like that is the fact that arab uh, countries historically don't need a lot of push in order to topple their own governments if they're no. not happy no no you know revolutions revolutions happen oh yeah they don't, they don't fuck around the way we do here no. everyone talks about dictator dan dictator dan got re-elected <laughs> he did didn't he? yeah <laughs> you know no. what i mean yeah. Majority. Majority, yeah. And it was interesting, it, I don't know if you heard about this, but Pakistan is forcing 2 million Afghani refugees out of its country. No, kicking, I didn't know Kicking that. them back into Afghanistan. Where's the outcry for that? Now, imagine if a European country outwardly, and they have some of them have, and they don't hear the end of it, if they said, okay, well, we want to remove all these illegal, um, a combination of illegal Islamic economic migrants and the economic migrants 
that were enforced into this continent en masse onto these countries that had no need or want for them. Okay, let's say Greece or Italy or, you know, France or said, okay, well, we want to remove it. You, know, you wouldn't hear the end of it. So some, somehow it's not okay for Europe to want to remove illegal and enforced Islamic economic immigration, which is incompatible. But it's okay for Pakistan to remove two million Afghani refugees and send them back to where they came from. There's not an outcry about that at all. Yet it's the same thing. So again, you do have that that double standard. It's as if the Western world and Europe in particular has to suffer all of this. And why do they have to suffer all this? They're going to talk about colonialist history. Inevitably, they're going to talk about European colonialism. Well, not all European powers were colonialists. A lot of them were, yes. The British, the French, the Spanish, the Portuguese, the Dutch, the Belgians, the, the Germans, the Italians, a lot of empires. But again... It is actually a lot of them. It's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Yeah, well, leading nations, yeah. The leading nations. But at the same time, the conversation with these people ends there. The the nations of Europe deserve this uh, mass multicultural flooding of incompatible immigration because of their colonial history. All right. So in that case, why aren't we flooding China with it? Why aren't we flooding Japan with it? Why are we, aren't we flooding Turkey with it? Why aren't we flooding the Arab states with it? They've all been colonialists. All of them. Yeah. So that, that's what en- enrages me to no end. And what I admire about the East, be it China, Japan, Turkey, the Arab states, is they're very proud of who they are. They're not doubtful of their cultures, their way of life. So they push it and they push it hard and they... They make no apology. Unfortunately, we're, you know, it's the flip side in the West. Full of doubt, full of guilt. Apologists. Yeah, full of shame. Uh, massacre self-flagellists. <laughs> how is this, you know, <laughs> how is this healthy? How is this healthy for a society? We have so much to be proud of. We do. We have, I, you know, we have so much to be proud of of our civilizations, of our nation states, and our cultures. So why aren't we proud of it? And you know what annoys me is um, just a side issue here in Australia. We seem to be quite ashamed to celebrate Australia Day. Now you can talk about changing the. Date. I don't mind if the date is changed. I have no problem with. It doesn't really do much at the end of the day. But if you want to change the date, fine. But at the end of the day, what I'm seeing in in schools is a is a is a resistance to have a, a day of celebrating our nation, state, and our culture. They don't want to do that because they're ashamed of it. Yet they're more than happy to push a foreign cultural practice, which only happened quite recently, which is a, a pretty superficial cultural practice of confectionery and costuming. You love we're, it. we're seeing schools push Halloween. And I've asked a, a lot of friends and acquaintances I know that have children, Halloween is being pushed hard in schools. Why are we pushing uh, a superficial consumerist American cultural practice through our education system, but why aren't we pushing a, a, a day of national celebration where we can celebrate all the positivity and all the wonders of our, of our nation, state, and our culture? Now, what, why aren't we doing that? You think about it like on a world scale. Australia's a pretty fucking incredible place. Oh, it's wonderful. You know what I mean? The opportunities that our parents yeah. had when they came here yeah, wonderful. would never have gotten anywhere else. No, no. You know? Um, 
this, and we're constantly in that list mm. of the, the world's most livable countries. Yep. Melbourne's always in the list of the world's most livable yep. cities. There's yep. a reason for it. You know, it's not just oh, we like the people or no. it's friendly. It's they look at everything. The they quality, analyze okay, okay. quality of life. Quality yeah. of, okay, it's expensive in many ways. I get it, but we have quality of life here. We've got great op- employment opportunities. We're rel- we're pretty we're safe. There's a there's a lot here to be um, there's a lot here to be proud of and grateful. And I would like to see schools. Because a lot of it starts in, in, in the school system, you know. Do you remember, I don't know how long ago it was, but there was a big push about halal certification. People, For a while, people yeah. People didn't want it. They thought it was funding regimes and all that sort of shit. Ironically, in 2023, we've now got Hamas being portrayed as some sort of freedom-fighting libertarian group. How is that possible? That's the, the shame of... Jesus. Again, again, I blame the workist. I blame the workist ideology and, and movement for that because the Free Palestineism is a branch of that. Isn't it? It's it's a brand extension of, of that big umbrella, and they framed it in a particular way where these two identities or these two collectives come into play. As I said, with those identities, and they and the people have been told support this and go against this for this and this reason, and the people are eating it up. As we said before. This is the new religion in the West. Sorry, I, I know I jumped across from mm. where you were going. You were talking about uh, nationalism in Australia. Well, yeah, th- there was that point. Of it, but I just wanted to make that point that I find, because that recently came up and I, f- I found that astounding, but it was interesting because I was having a conversation with someone about rainbowism. <laughs> and you know that I'm not a, a fan of, of rainbowism and the tenets of rainbowism. Many of the things I reject. And um, this person said to me, well, why don't you focus on an ideology that is more harmful, that does a lot of damage to people? And I knew I knew what they were going to say. I knew what they were okay. going to say. But I said, well, tell me, <laughs> such, such as what? Do tell. Do tell. And the person <laughs> said, well, what about neo-Nazism? I thought, oh, again with the neo-Nazis. These people are obsessed with neo-Nazism. Not that I think that they know much about it, but they're obsessed with it because it's, it's the constant go-to. And I said, neo-Nazism is not a threat to our society, but rainbowism is a threat to our society. And he, and then this person said, how, how, how is it? I said, okay, well, when neo-Nazism loses its title as a tiny, tiny, tiny fringe, fringe, fringe group with no power whatsoever, I'll focus on them. When they start influencing law and public policy, when they infest themselves into practically all the important segments of our society and start subverting their ideology into it, um, healthcare, education, uh, political parties, corporate, women's sports, because that's what rainbowism has done. So don't tell me that neo-Nazism is a threat to our society. Rainbowism is a threat to our society because they've got a grip on all those areas that I've mentioned, they've infiltrated, they've subverted, and in a large part, they're, they're getting their way for the most part. Rainbow is, rainbow's ideology is a threat to our society. Neo-Nazism is a dangerous ideology, but they're fringe. They're represented yes, by I'm fringe. I'm not saying that they're not a, it's not a dangerous... Of course it is. Yeah. But the question posed to me was, why don't you focus on something that is more harmful to our society? What I'm saying is that there is no harm to our society. With It doesn't have any power. It's got no grip on anything. Yeah. It did have a grip in Europe at one point, yes. In Germany, we know that. Of course, in that situation, yes. 
I'm not saying that rainbowism and Nazism are equivalents in terms of their outcomes or in terms of their charters and their, and their dogma. But contextually, if you're going to argue which ideology is more toxic... In 2023. In 2023, in the West... Yeah, one's got its cause yeah. all over. One, one is literally represented in government, one isn't. Yeah, and then I heard, you know, I remember, I think it was you that sent me the article about how there was a certain rainbow group that wanted a, a voice to parliament board. I go, why do they, they've already, they're already in. They, oh, they yeah. haven't been beyond, they don't need a, 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 a board advising. They, they've already basically inserted yeah, themselves into all these Yeah, because a friend of mine things. who happens to be gay yeah. turned around and said, we've already fucking represented in parliament what more do they you're, want you're severely represented and you've and these organizations have got a stranglehold on all those segments that we've mentioned so there's no need for such a board they're beyond a board <laughs> as far as i'm concerned it's fucking exhausting yeah i don't i don't know how I'm, it's gonna be interesting when i put this one up because I don't like, like you said, I don't like the fact that people are saying, oh, they just want peace. We need a who, ceasefire. Who wants peace? Oh. Yeah. Palestinians oh. just want peace. And Israelis don't. Yeah. And we need a ceasefire. <laughs> it's like, well, in the ceasefire, does Hamas release all the hostages immediately? And does Hamas put their weapons down? That, that's what I'm saying. Does, uh, do, they, do they dismantle all their rockets? What are the terms of the ceasefire? Yeah. Does well, Iran descale well, nuclear... Um, that's why I loved seeing, you know, Kate Blanchett, you know, you know, uh, you know how she, she tosses her hair back. Yeah, and, what was the thing? You sent me the article and well, just laughed. Yeah, yeah, I, I laughed too. It. These Hollywood types. Um, you know, you can just see her cocking her head back and throwing her head back. You know, she always loves presenting herself as this down-to-earth, you know, so in touch when I think she's a snide you know, closet elitist, <laughs> but they love pontificating. They love consistently performing. Oh, Kate Blanchett is calling for a ceasefire. Does this woman actually know it goes into a ceasefire? I don't think she understands that. And we had silly Susan Sarandon, who, I mean, I've lost a lot of respect for her over the years, particularly with her nonsense in on the island of Lesbos. But, Lesbos? Um, yeah. Well, she was do. there during the immigration crisis, running around thanking the Greeks for taking in all these unwanted economic migrants said, well, I'm, I'm here. Are you talking about like the Syrians and the Turks that piled in? The, the Arabs from Arabs, Syria, but plus yeah. economic migrants. As in the migrants. Syrians coming through Turkey. Yeah, yeah, plus yeah. other economic migrants coming from other parts of, of the Islamic world. But, you know, she said, well, you know, well, I'm here because, you know, my, my parents were immigrants to the U.S. I think, how How's dare you compare the two? First, and I've had that argument thrown at me a few times. First of all, if we, if we take Sarandon's parents or even say, you know, my grandparents, your grandparents to Australia, you're comparing two very different things. You're comparing, we're talking about the immigration into the, the US of the Italians or say the Greeks are in Australia. It was legal Im- immigration. It was controlled immigration. It was Documented. regulated immigration. And guess what? Those countries needed these workers to build the infrastructure. Not only that, people coming from Europe were largely compatible, both culture- culturally and religiously. My mother, I did the podcast in here with my mother earlier yeah. in the year. She was put on the migrancy program in the early 70s. Yeah. When she was in the, I asked her what she did in Greece before she got here, as in what was part of the program. Yeah. And a lot of it was about cultural things. Yeah. They were taught about Australian culture yeah, yeah, yeah. and what to expect and yeah. how to assimilate. And again, the Europeans coming in uh, to Australia are 
were more so compatible, not entirely, but far more so compatible than they would have been with other people in other parts of the world. So you compare that type of immigration to this migrant crisis that Sarandon was in Lesbos for trying to, you know, giving out teddy bears and giving out clothes and, <laughs> and you know, shawls for people and thanking every Greek she could get her hands on for helping. Um, <laughs> that, that, that immigration was in, in many parts was illegal because you have a lot of illegal immigrants that entered. You, you had mass levels of immigration uh, and multiculturalism, mass copious levels, uh, completely unregulated, unvetted, fast rates of speed, people carrying incompatible religious and, and cultural components, and these immigrants were not needed or wanted. So for, for the large part, um, there wasn't enough work for them to go around. They'll take far more from the social services than they'll ever pay back in tax. They brought with them a lot of religious and cultural incompatibilities. These countries can't handle this intake. How is that comparable to Sarandon's Im- parents immigrating from Italy to the US or our grandparents immigrating from Greece? It's completely different, and I really despise that comparison. <laughs> there's no comparison. There's really no comparison yeah. whatsoever. So, yeah. Silly Sarandon's gone on the P trail as well. Silly Blanchett is calling <laughs> for a um, for a ceasefire. I don't think that woman has any idea about what actually goes in, but she's a UN goodwill ambassador. We've got to stop celebrities being UN goodwill ambassadors because all they like to do is getting on stage or getting their microphone and performing and, oh, I want peace, oh, I want a ceasefire, oh, I want this and that. We all want peace. The mass majority of us do. It's, it's, it's blatantly obvious, and I don't think it makes a very interesting discussion. You know, at, at the end of the day, people say, you know, oh, I just want peace. And if they, even if they talk about the topic, they'll spend five minutes or so just talking about how I don't like seeing innocent people being killed and we want peace. Great. That's obvious. But it doesn't make a very interesting conversation or analysis. You know, you're not really telling me anything interesting. So it's just, it's, it's, it's the most bleedingly obvious thing to say. And if that's all you've got to say about this matter, you're really not saying much at all. I know that, you know, using your social networks and all that sort of yeah. stuff, you, you have these discussions at length. Yeah. You've always done that. Yeah. Like, you're not even a provocateur. You're just raising a discussion. Yeah. Right, to understand yeah. the other I'm not side. being provocative about this topic no. at all. One, one thing no. that I'll give you credit for, which is something I do as well, is you mm. want to hear the other side of the argument or just a different side of the argument so you can mm. compare all... I listen. Yeah, you do listen, 100%. Yeah, I listen to the counter-arguments. I just and, have no sympathy with them. And, <laughs> and actually listen yeah. beyond just being in the, you know, waiting for your turn to speak. Yeah, no, no, I don't believe in, in just waiting for my turn to speak. No. You must listen and you must engage. It just so happens that every single argument put on the table in regards to this matter just doesn't hold any water. Have you found that in your social little. groups, you've been surprised with the reaction to Palestine and what's going on? So the Gaza issue? Yeah, I um, mean, just in your discussions that you've had with, like, friends. Friends, people you know. No, I, I think they're pretty predictable because I know them so... I know these people so well. I don't think anyone has surprised me on this. Has it boiled over to the point of being blocked? People, Not with friends. Yeah? Not with friends. Though there, there could be a few people out there that I know that I'm friends with that this topic won't get brought up. Just purely be, just to avoid any... Because we don't want... Do you know what I mean? Like, we've spoken about it before. We're on opposite sides of the fence. I won't bring it up. If they push for it, I might have something to say, but otherwise, I stay away from that topic because I know not to discuss it because there's just no point. The thing is with you, like, I yeah. I trust your 
because it's not even your opinion. You can you you present facts and then you present your opinion based on mm, facts. Yeah, I know you. I trust you to be someone that does research. Yeah, and before. I've spent a lot of time. I know research, and that's why I brought you on because I yeah. know you're passionate about this, and yeah. I can take what you're saying. The only thing is, is I'm just thinking about all the people that share shit on my social media. Mm. I've kept quiet. Mm. I haven't shared well, anything. I'm the same with you. I have not said a single thing publicly. I've, s- I've said what I've said on the podcast, yeah. and it's up to the individual to listen to it if they want to hear it. The only time I haven't discussed this privately is here. Yeah, I'm not discussing it on social media. I'm staying away from it. Or I do read what other people write, um, and I, I'm, I'm astounded by a lot of the things that people say. Uh, sometimes almost gobsmacked by the, by the rubbish that people have to say, but just the lack of information. That's what's scary to me. How can you be yeah. so quick to retweet a video about dead babies or something mm. with some statistic about how many kids have been killed in Gaza? Yeah. Did you see the statistic about how many suicide vests were handed out to half these ba- Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it makes What I'm saying is that people are so quick to reshare shit without doing any independent reading on anything. But they're just getting the facts, and this is the facts. Well, and- th- it's unfortunate. I think it's an unfortunate way of how our society is run now. People aren't – they're not going on information. They're going on memes. They're going on slogans. But that's they're what going- I'm saying. Yeah. I'd be fucked to bring someone in here to debate you on everything you just said, right? We could fact-check every single thing you said, and I want to hear the counter-argument to it. Well, I'd like to hear a counter-argument. I'd like that's to hear a good counter I want to hear. I want yeah. to hear a counter-argument. Have you heard a good counter-argument to date? No, 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 and I mean, I, I've listened, I even, you know, watched some videos of Hitchens, and you know how much of a fan I am of Hitchens, yeah. I, I've i seen some old footage of him discussing this issue, and I don't think he delved into it as well as he should have, there are things that he's saying that I don't agree with, um, no, I, I haven't I haven't heard any valid counter-arguments, I haven't really had a good oppositional discussion with someone about it, simply because... As I say, they don't understand Islam. They don't understand Islamic jihadi principles. They don't understand Islamic ideologies. They don't understand the history of this region. And when I say to them, well, before the 60s, there was no such thing as a Palestinian identity. Why is it then that every document, every every piece of evidence refers to these people as Arabs and all of a sudden, magically, they become Palestinian in the, in the 60s? Rebirthed. Yeah. yeah, rebirth. Why is that? What, explain that to me. Why these partition plans were called the Arab-Jewish partition plans. Why all these documents talk about Arabs, 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 Arabs. There is talk of Palestine because we know it was a British British mandate, but we know that the reason why this land was called Palestine was British mandate Palestine. It was the British that gave this land that particular title at that time by virtue of the British. And as I said, the Jews and the Arabs weren't particularly fond of the P word. You know, and then after the British mandate, they really there was no usage of it. They abandoned it. But you know, I've seen the 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 archives. I've seen the footage of the British mandate Palestine passports and the British mandate Palestine currency. The British were quite swift. I mean, they developed currency. Prior to that, what was the currency in that region? It was whatever the Ottoman currency was. You know, for centuries. Look at archaeological history. There is no evidence of a Palestinian. People, yeah, but yet we're told now all of a sudden that they're the direct descendants of the Canaanites, just like the cops are the direct descendants of the pharaohs. That latter is true. As we say, the former is incorrect. 
predominant Arab ancestry with a mixture of a handful of other strains that happened to be in that region at that time that got bunched together. But no, it's not one descendant of the of the Canaanites, absolutely not. It's, we could go on and on about it, but again, how many people know about this you know, this history, and I find it very difficult to have a conversation with people on this topic if they're not versed on the history of the region then and they don't have that understanding of the elements that we need in order to understand Hamas so we can understand their motivation and their reason for doing things. So then what would you say to anyone that would have to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. For further education on this matter, what would the t- starting points be? Understanding Islam. Understanding Islam. Understanding the, the context of the history of this region. I recommend you go all the way back and look at the the ancient ethnic tribes that came, the Canaanites, the Jews, as such. Look at the Roman region, uh, the Roman era. Obviously, look at what happened to the Jewish people onwards. Look at the Arab Islamists. That's very important. Knowing about the Arab Islamist colonialism and expansion throughout the Middle East and North Africa. Learn about the Ottoman. Ottoman era, learn about the British era. And again, you, you'll hear about, you know, like I said, there was an Arab on Q&A that said, you know, well, um, the Zionists came in 19... And I've read little sonnets and poems that kind of go with this stuff. Sonnets. Sonnets, yeah, little <laughs> attempts at sonnets. You know, the, the Zionists came in 48, you know, they took our land, they killed us. Really, is that what... So you're completely forgetting about or conveniently ignoring absolutely everything that came before that and during that. So you hear these, and again, because people don't know about the history, they'll take their word for it, because they don't know about the five Arab nations that attacked. There's no talk about British control and what was going on between the Arabs and the Jews and the British. The, the Nazi pact, the Nazi Arab pact, no, no, no talk about that. No talk about the... Arab majority that began persecuting the Jewish minority, you know, from the 20s onwards. There's no talk of this. That's I'm, surprised all very that, um, I'm surprised that your friend Shapiro hasn't been retweeted more often. Somehow, Shapiro, Ben Shapiro finds My his friend. way. Yeah, <laughs> your friend. Yeah. I find it interesting that typically people that I know that would be conveniently right-wing when it's yeah. you know, convenient, yeah. Shapiro finds his way into their retweets and reshares. Surprisingly, Shapiro would obviously be pro-Israel. Yeah, Israel, oh, yeah. very you know, much so. And I've watched a few of his clips. I, I generally don't like Shapiro. I used to like him back in the day until I yeah. realized he was a fraud. But um, but when I've watched him talk about these issues, I, I yeah. tend to agree with a lot of what he says. Yeah, uh, recently right? there's footage of him at Oxford debating uh, <laughs> students at Oxford. That wasn't too bad. He brought up some good points. But the interesting thing with Shapiro was that even he didn't cover a lot of this history that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and that's... I'm surprised that he hasn't worked his way into the algorithm. Yeah. Because the same right, conveniently right-wing people will bring him up when it threatens judo-Christian yeah. values or some shit, but not this time. Well, what we're, I, I'm seeing a lot more of Douglas Murray. He's really into this, so we're seeing a lot of Douglas Murray. We see a lot of Pierce Morgan, who I don't think has anything interesting to say. Uh, Douglas Murray does have a lot to say. We're seeing a lot from Brigitte Gabriel, who is that, um, I don't know if you know Brigitte Gabriel. Um, she's a Maronite Lebanese woman who um, lived in a bomb shelter for seven years as a girl during the Civil War, hiding from uh, Hezbollah and the no Islamic shit. extremists. So she's, and you know, her family was praying for the day that Israel would 
you know, come in into the south and, and you know, get rid of get rid of Hezbollah, get rid of the PLO, for example. She talks a lot about this, and she's got some very interesting things to say as well. Uh, but I think those two figures, I think, yeah, Murray and Gabriel, have, are, I'm seeing a lot coming through, let's say, on, on the YouTube and, yeah. and the social media. Again, a lot of Piers Morgan, but I, again, I, I'm not a fan. I don't think he's got very much. It's basic. There's not much not much coming from him that's very interesting at all. But I think those three figures seem to be the most prominent on, let's say, uh, YouTube. Also, Melanie Phillips, who's a, a British Jew, I think she's coming quite a bit. And there's those guys um, from Trigonometry. Um, I wouldn't know. Yeah, there's a, a Russian Brit and an English English Brit. Uh, and they had, um, there was a man called, no, it was a, a Weinstein and Sam Harris. I uh, forget the, the first name of the, the guy that was called Weinstein. And that was a very intelligent discussion. And they also covered the ideas of having to understand Islam and understanding jihadi principle. Weinstein said some things I agreed with and some things I didn't. I was more in agreement with Sam Harris, who I think is is very intelligent. But uh, again, I'm paraphrasing, but one of the greatest things the uh, Weinstein had said, he brought up BLM and he basically summarized it as being a brand. And a brand similar to that slogan of, you know, I can't believe it's not butter, when referring to margarine. It's the, 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 the branding and the marketing behind margarine. It's a kind of thing that, you know, you can't disagree with as a slogan. Do you know what I mean? Like, black lives matter. Well, they do. They do. We can't disagree with it. So I've always said the only thing I agree with in terms of BLM is the literal slogan. Yeah. Everything else is rot as, as an organization and a movement. But that's its genius. If there is any genius behind BLM, it's its literal slogan. If there's any kind of, you know, cleverness behind the free Palestinism, apart from it's using that structure of pitting certain identities against each other, which works with the, the, the groups that follow it, is that it's got a, an emotive and, you know, slogan. But as I said with that slogan, from what? I want to know, what are, what are we freeing? Again, I don't use the term Palestine, but what are we freeing West Bank and Gaza from? But it's catchy. You know, it goes on badges, it goes on, on banners, it's a highly emotive, and it seems to work, it seems to win people over. But again, you ask most people, they say freedom from Israeli occupation. So then we've got to go through all that when we've been through that, but we would have to talk through that. Israeli occupation, they were never occupied. Well, Gaza, again, Gaza was occupied by Egypt from 48 to 67. Israel occupied it from 67 onwards, yeah? gave it up, but they have to monitor and survey the area, or they're dead. They have to monitor all those potential inroads. They have to monitor what goes in and out, because if they turn their backs, they're gone. It's an impossible situation, but... It's amazing, just the contrast between the right wing is the conveniently right wing, and then supporting something like Hamas. You know? Yeah. I don't know. It, it, that, I think that's the biggest thing for me, because yeah. I, I, there's no... I'm afraid to say something, anything, because... Yeah, you don't want to be called. Uh, well, yeah, it, like I said, I have no dog in this fight. No, you know, same. And I can take all your religious ideology and throw it out the window because it means nothing to yeah. me. Ultimately, I'm talking about human rights. I'm seeing one terrorist organization committing atrocities. I'm seeing the other defending itself. What do you want me to say? Yeah, though the, they're called the terrorists as well, or they're, they're labeled the terrorists out of the two. And again, 
this claim that they're, you know, deliberately targeting the press and, and women and children is just, it's, it's gobsmackingly awful. But as we, we've determined, and it is very obvious from the evidence and there that they're targeting those Hamas bases. But we know why the civilians, that so many are dying. We, we know the strategy behind it. But a lot of people don't, as I said, if you can't understand Hamas, their mindset and their strategy and what they, and the val, out, how they use our particular values against us, that's also strategy in order to win sympathy and favor. And, and it's working. My goodness. I've never seen um, protests for the P cause to such magnitude. It doesn't surprise me because, as I said, it's just another brand extension of wokeism at the end of the day. And even with Ukraine, though the, the, the protests for, against Russia pro-Ukraine is nowhere near as intense as this. But, you know, we had the Ukrainian matter in, uh, we had Russia going into Ukraine in 2014, no movement. We had it, Russia invading Georgia in 2008, no movement then either. We talked about there no being a movement for, for the Syrian casualties of war, for the Yemen casualties of war. Um, and I don't think it's just because, you know, TikTok wasn't a thing back then or whatever. I think it's it's more, we've discussed why it's worked now, but if social media had propelled this I stand with Ukraine, then it's really exploded with, with um, FPism, is what we'll call How it. How long do you reckon this is going to go for? Oh, dear. I don't know. Um, maybe this was the tipping point. I mean, the, I think maybe we've gotten to a certain point where, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I, I, I really have no idea. No idea. How do you feel? <laughs> I've enjoyed the discussion. Do you, rec- do you reckon you got everything out? harboring on this issue that would help someone gain some I clarity think so. i think so uh, what do you think i think when we had <laughs> when we had dinner duck dinner <laughs> you, you were on a roll yeah you were a lot more animated than you are now mm. and you were you were speaking with a lot more just you were highly irritated yeah very, very and very very um you were aggr- almost aggressive yeah like someone had, like this had all come, and that's why I said you got to come on. Yeah, I was irritated because of all, the the atmosphere. Yeah, I figured after two yeah. weeks you sort of got your your thoughts yeah. in order, and yeah. I knew you'd be able to put together like because, I, like I said, you haven't even got a, a phone out to get notes. We haven't looked anything up. There has been no notes. Of, no, no, that's nothing. And, and that's why I said I trust in your in your facts and your explanation because I've said it to you before you're very articulate and you don't just talk shit for the sake of it no I just want to know do you think you've loaded up this chat with enough information let's just say that to help someone gain clarity on the on this on the I, I think so I think what we fleshed out in terms of history historical relevance yeah. um, and how we've brought that into the current situation the, the discussion regarding Islamic ideology, the mindset of Hamas, how all that comes together, all the inaccurate buzzwords that are used, combine all of that with the historical context, then I think we're definitely onto something for people to understand. Like I said to you before, you can you can claim it all started in 1948, the so-called Nabka, and claim that you know the Jews came in, stole land, massacred hundreds and thousands of Arabs, yeah. and that's the beginning of the – that's inaccurate. But there's a whole lot of information that came before that and then a whole lot of information that occurs during that 1948 incident. 
But again, you could just lay that, that simple contention of 1948 NABCA out on the table and, and people will believe it. I think the key takeaway, and if we're going to close on this, I yeah. think the key takeaway of all this was I wanted you in to give a to give an outline of what the situation is, right? Yeah. In your understanding mm. of, of blah, 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 things that most people have overlooked, yeah. right? In no part of this chat mm. have we offered a solution or a reaction to what's going on, as in this is what we should be doing. Well, we don't have one. We've alluded to we, we, things to consider. Yeah, there, there was things to consider, like we had the, the Egyptian border yeah, enclave yeah. thing that is probably is not a bad idea because I've always been for this idea of if there's a war in a specific... And it was the same thing in Syria. And I said this. What I wanted to have seen there was not millions and millions of Arab Syrians filtered into Europe. We have a, an entire Arabic world with immense territories and a, a great deal of space and all the compatibilities in the world. I was going to say, yeah, for. all the cultural line. Yeah, align. so, yeah. you know, let's, let's just, you know, cut off a portion of a particular Gulf area, let's say, and let's house them there temporarily. We've got the money. That the Gulf is absolutely wealthy. They've got the land. Invest in that. And it's then their when, land. Like, yeah, and then when Syria is rebuilt, and at some point it'll be fine, It's you know, the, the US and its allies need to assist in rebuilding what they broke, then they're ready to go back. It's the same thing in Ukraine, and the, the right thing occurred there, in my opinion. The mass majority of Ukrainian refugees are classified as refugees going to the next safe havens. Where did they go? Latvia, Lithuania, Poland. Next door... Neighbors, friendly, a lot of cultural compatibilities. They'll be there temporarily. The mass majority of them will go back eventually. Eventually, yeah. once Ukraine is safe to go back to, eventually the mass majority will want to go back. So th that's what the Ukrainian example is exactly what should have happened in, in Syria with the Syrian thing. It, it obviously didn't. Um, so. We had one idea, or it wasn't our idea, it was an idea that someone else had put on the table in regards to temporary refuge in Egypt. I don't think that's a bad idea. Beyond that, I've got no no solutions at, the, at this point. I can't say for sure. But none of this is, none of what I'm saying is none of what we've said yeah. paints either one person as the oppressed of like, you know what I mean, like free, something as as bold emboldened as free Palestine, yeah. free, free Israel, like... You know, there has to be a ceasefire. It's like, those aren't solutions. Okay, so if there is a ceasefire and everyone puts their guns down, so to speak, then what after that? Because you've still, Gaza's probably in a bigger mess than it ever has been. Hamas needs to go. Um, what are we going to do now with all these Arabs in Gaza that don't have housing? The more I think about it, that temporary Egyptian solution is not too bad. I mean, it's right next door. There's, we've got the space that we can do it, let's say, in the Sinai. We can set something up. Gaza needs to be... At the end of the day, we're not going to be able to move um, millions of people in Gaza and put them into another spot, let's say, or with the West Bank. Now, the, yeah. the Donny Trump peace plan was pretty good. I don't know if you read it. I don't know, I don't know how involved he was in its creation, but it talked about the idea of underpasses, um, and overpasses heavily under heavy security, of course, but connecting the two territories. They could become one sovereign state. The people that haven't seen sea 
will be able to see the ocean. Uh, relatives that haven't been able to see each other and, and be together will be able to do so. They'll be able to innovate. They'll be able to grow. They'll be able to be productive. That was one decent solution because I said you can't just pick up a whole collective of people and dump them elsewhere. It's just it's just completely yeah. impractical. So I always thought that was a good idea. Will that ever get put on the table again? Who knows? But I think, first of all, we've just got to make sure that, you know, once this is over, and I think, yes, eventually the fighting will die off, um, these millions of people get, need to go somewhere. Again, they need to... The whole thing needs to be rebuilt, more or less. Everything that's been damaged needs to be rebuilt. But maybe this could be a good start for a new government to come in, a new um, a democratic government, options that care about these people, and maybe this will be a good start to build a livable, workable society in Gaza. Until that point, the democratic masses of the liberal armies need to understand that Hamas is not a democratic liberal No, no. So government. we need to bring... The new government needs to come in. Um, they need to rebuild. I mean, I know that is easier said than done, but what, else, what, other, what other option do you have? That's why I don't mind this idea of temporary refuge on the, in a border area near Egypt, so then for when it is ready, they can easily go back to a, a hopefully a workable livable society with a government that cares about them and they can start becoming a productive, workable, livable society, which is what should have happened in the 60s. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I look forward to actually sharing this. Yeah, and I look forward to hearing the, the feedback from your listeners. Be good. Thanks, man. Seriously. Thank you, mate. Hold up.